Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today we have joining us a special guest. We have Gal Bornstein of the Bornstein Group. Gal, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. Gal, tell us about uh, the Bornstein Group. Well, uh, I founded the Bornstein Group in 1994, uh, which is about 26 years ago when I uh, realized that the technology, uh, marketing and advertising is uh, a unique science within the creative industry whereby uh, engineers and scientists and people that develop software, hardware, and any type of uh, internet related thing at the time, which is the prehistoric era of the pre-browser, had difficulties in really kind of articulating uh, the issues that would make a sale to a customer. And I had a background in communications and being a journalist and also in understanding uh, with a master's degree in telecommunications. And I said, what if there's going to be an agency out there uh, that understands technology and understands engineers, but also understands the idea that when you're selling or marketing to another person or an institution, uh, you need to really have an understanding of both sides and reverse the process and make sure that you articulate it in a way that has a, why should I buy it and why now? And that really kind of uh, created a trajectory of the Bornstein Group. Uh, So 26 years later, uh, we're still located in the Washington DC area. We focus uh, on business to business and business to government, uh, enterprise uh, marketing, branding, and public relations. And we primarily work really with technology companies that are uh, really kind of in uh, introducing their products and services to the market, whether it's now advanced analytics and cybersecurity and anything that relates to what we call the digital age and the expertise uh, that we kind of uh, accumulated over time from telecommunications to software to uh, anything that you can uh, call technology is uh, amazingly useful because while things have changed, certain fundamentals have not been changed, which is how do you sell and market in business to business? And that's really what our expertise is uh, focused on. That's great. Uh, in the notes you sent me, um, you talk about shifting the perspective you know, from as salespeople, we're all about how do I sell this? What are the things I need to do to sell this to close the deal? You shift it from how do I sell it to why would anybody want to buy it? Can you talk about that? Yes. I think the most uh, uh, common uh, criteria that uh, people are using uh, to sell is not that it's wrong, but when you're trying to kind of engineer, if you will, or construct a way Uh, someone is likely to react, you really have to kind of uh, put yourself in a customer's shoes or in the client's shoes, depending on your industry, and really kind of start the process with a simple kind of construct that I call 
differentiation. And um, the differentiation is never based on kind of one value. So take, for example, the sentence that if uh, we're able or unable to say the following, if uh, our company specializes in X, Y, and Z, and unlike companies A, B, and C, we do things in one, two, and three, better, faster, whatever, and you can't articulate it, you really don't have the opportunity to sell to anyone, number one, because you have not differentiated what you're doing. And that differentiation, to answer your question, goes all the way back to saying, if, even if you had like the most common product that somebody is likely to buy is why wouldn't they buy it? Because if you're able to overcome and identify the objections, not only the, the product or the service objections, but the psychological objections of a buyer, which could be, for example, I might get fired if I buy your technology and I may keep my job if I buy the other technology, which they'll never tell you if you're in sales and they're the buyer. They'll just say, I really don't like your technology or see you next year, call me next year and I'll evaluate it again. So psychology and looking at overcoming objections by analyzing what is it really that buyers are interested in, in addition to what the marketing departments that are looking at, which is features, benefits, cost, value, and attaching it to this process is really kind of the way to accelerate sales from six months to three months to two weeks sometimes. And especially when you know who the enemy is, the competition, and what they're likely to say, that basically is the golden ticket to being successful. Right. So then by going through that process of really understanding those objections, is the expectation then that you're working that into your sales process in your, your messaging, your value yes. proposition? Is that what bringing it all together? Absolutely. Because obviously you got to have a product or a service that presumably has been tested to be reliable. And really the first fundamental question or statement that I just made is not self-evident to a lot of companies, which is especially when it comes to something that, for example, a software package uh, or um, a piece of machinery, at the end of the day, you have an on and off switch and you have reliability. And you assume that when you turn on the switch, it works. So if you go to market and you have salespeople that are selling something that they never seen having that ability click that button, if you will, or on and off to produce an outcome, and you make a promise that your product or service is better than the other guys, if you don't test that promise prior to marketing it and selling it to the outside world, uh, your promise is going to be blown away very, very quickly, and your credibility is going to be blown away. And in today's environment, we have social proof, which is reviews of customers, and the opportunity for people to research about you without ever talking to you prior to your call or after your pitch to them, that really is a problem. So, but assuming that everything is right and the quality assurance is there and that what you're selling, uh, whether it's again, uh, an accounting software or a kind of a telecommunication uh, 
widget or whether it's a business service uh, on an enterprise level that involves risk mitigation, uh, we really uh, start the process by saying, yes, these are the features and those are the benefits to the company that the buyer is representing. But what is the thoughts? What are the thoughts that the buyer might have if he doesn't believe in you, as in they don't have a friend or we don't have a mutual friend that told them you should talk to uh, this company. And you have to really kind of create a, uh, almost kind of a pseudo religious experience where they get something to believe in and then you have to execute it. And the short answer to that is if you know what they fear, if you know what they like, if you know why they're not likely to accept your promise, which could be as simple as they don't want to get fired, they can get promoted on a positive level, uh, they don't want to experience a thousand people complaining to the help desk about something that they experienced recently because they made a mistake. And the higher you go and the more money people are spending in, in the corporate enterprise environment, it doesn't matter, technology, accounting, finance, wherever you go or, or any, any type of uh, uh, environment like that, you're going to find very often that the higher the sale goal is, the more risk mitigation and what you're dealing with is really three choices, which is you are either the safe choice, the best choice, or the innovative choice. And most of us, and I say the community of uh, professionals that might be listening, your audience in, in sales and marketing, start by saying we're the innovative choice, which cognitively means that you're automatically saying I'm a risk. So mm -hmm. take your chance on me. And that is a complete uh, opposite to what someone in the position of power in the Swiss and in the C-suite is likely to accept. So if you're starting with, I'm different, and because I'm different, you should take a chance with me or on me, you have to give them proof points and build it in a way that by the time you're telling them the why now, which is why you should buy from me now versus later, they're already kind of convinced that they can trust you. And the failure to do that, which we see every day in our industry, is really kind of the reason that many uh, technologies fail to succeed uh, and many service uh, opportunities to sell fail to, to kind of permeate because of not thinking through that idea of, are you the best choice? Are you the safe choice? Are you the innovative choice? And by safe choice, just to be clear, we tend to think of being boring. It is not being boring. In fact, it's the opposite of boring. Safe is a combination of eliminating the objections that for the company uh, on the buyer side, the decision maker, the influencer at the decision maker cycle, and the stakeholders around him or her, where you have the opportunity to come into the, the conversation fully equipped to be able to win.
You know, it's funny as I was listening, I'm thinking like, you know, we're almost trained as sales leaders to always be like, oh, we're all about innovation and, and you know, that we're so creative and all that. But we're probably shooting ourselves in the foot if we're not really able to make that transition that while we're innovative, we're also the safe and the best choice, you know, that it's not just about innovation. How do you work with your clients to create that balance? Well, the, the starting point is really gonna to help clients understand and really sometimes it's easy and sometimes it, it's kind of a journey by using data points, which start with a question, for example, um, are we the first iPad if it was a tablet or are we basically competing against other tablet makers, for example, that already exist because the experience that you have, if you're basically selling the first thing in an industry that never saw a product or a service like yours, you have a what we call the cost of education and you have to create a marketing process that really kind of takes into consideration exactly that point, which is you have to educate your customers before you get to sell to them. And, that, and that's if you, it's, truly kind of on the cutting edge on things. But I can't tell you how many times uh, companies assume that people should say yes or no based on pricing or based on their belief that there are features that are faster, higher quality, more secure, um, you know, more robust, uh, multiple capabilities is the reason that, that buyers should buy. And then when you have the, the, the other kind of point is Know thy enemy. You're always selling against a straw man. And when you don't have the ability to know that you have a competition, and the competition could be, for example, with a new product, it could be ignorance of the fact that there's a better way of doing things. And your target prospect or customer is never going to admit to you that they don't know that there is a better way. So by telling them there's a better way, you're gonna lose the sale before you even begun on a psychological and a branding level. And you never get to tell the story because they're not listening. And then the other type of competition, which is the traditional route that most companies should take is really say, is our promise uh, sounds and, and looks like exactly the promise that other competitors in our market are doing and saying and expressing, uh, whether it's uh, the, the features or the benefits or the value or the use case scenarios, is it the same? I can't tell you how many times uh, the first question that we have when we interview customers that want to come on board and do an advertising campaign or a digital branding campaign or a public relations component uh, when we ask the question, who's your competition? And imagine that it's a small to mid-sized company that are selling to the enterprise, which is the majority of the economy, as you know, because there's no more three IBMs and Microsoft and that's it. So when we ask the question, who's your competition? They basically say IBM or Microsoft or Amazon, which means an ant is competing against an elephant, which is never the case. In reality, you're competing against people that maybe are five or 50 or 100 times magnitude where you are, not a billion 
percent magnitude when you are. And if you basically don't know who your competition is, your chances of succeeding is pretty much zero because you're 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 kind of guessing that somebody's going to want to buy your product. How often does the competition of the status quo come into your discussions? Uh, as in uh, the safe choice or, or just the customer just they're the customer the prospect is you know i'm fine where i'm at i don't want to change uh how often does that come up in, in that that comes up very often because change is very difficult uh think about anyone that uh had the opportunity to shed their uh uh, youth or inexperience and get to the age of, uh, let's say, 40 and 50, uh, where typically you got the 20 years of experience to be a C-suite person or a middle management in a company, and you become a creature of comfort. And when you basically are disrupting uh, the process of being a creature of comfort, unless there is an external event. So, for example, if you're selling cybersecurity right now, uh, your level of comfort as a buyer of cybersecurity products is, I want to see what's new. I want to see how do I protect my company? Because you hear every day about cybersecurity hacks and events. So obviously, it's much easier to sell and unravel your level of comfort if you're a buyer when there is an external event like that. But in, in real life, those external events are very uh, uncommon. So the answer to your question is you need to create that event. When you can't get through the door, I always say you have to go through the window. And the window is if you understand the trends in the industry and you're able to articulate to the buyer that is um, stuck in 1995 or 2010 in 2020 or 2021 or 2022 in terms of what they need to do, you really need to give them social proof that they're lagging behind without insulting them, which means get three or four examples of companies that are exactly like their company and get three or four examples of people that are in the same position in the same space and use them as examples that show that they're not crazy when they're not excited about change but change comes with survivability and then make sure that they understand that it's survival of the fittest and in fact you are a trusted advisor that is helping them survive because if they don't do it, they really are going to be extinct versus uh, be praised by the CEO for making sure that the latest uh, hack to the company did not happen or uh, productivity has increased because they bought the product at the right time. So when you engage with your customers, you start off by interviewing all the employees, you call voice of the employees. And mm -hmm. then you interview their customers, you call that voice of the customers, and then you compare uh, and contrast the information, you know, where the, the employees, the management team would say, hey, we have got this incredible feature set, and it really resonates in the marketplace. But when you talk to the customers, you find out something different. 
how often do you see that that digression or just disconnect between the management team and, and the customer? Uh, we see it all the time, and it's really kind of a, a good point that you, uh, you brought up, which is uh, the two things that we really kind of focus on before we uh, say, let's go to market uh, and uh, create the messaging that encourage people to buy, whether it's the marketing collateral for the sales professionals or the website or their demo. Uh, the two things that we want to know is that the message is authentic and resonates. And the way we kind of gauge that is, what if the CEO of a company respectfully has a message that their service company in X industry is um, the fastest and the highest quality uh, over any other company? And then that's what the CEO of that company says. But when you interview, their employees, they say, you know, that's what the CEO says, but in reality, we really uh, have a lot of complaints about quality assurance, and uh, we really aren't the fast, fastest company. What are chances are do you have as a salesperson to be successful if people call BS, really, when you're selling and they're saying, hey, yeah, we tested your company five years ago or two years ago, two months ago, and they didn't experience uh, what you thought that you're, you're buying or the thing that you bought is not the thing that you got. So what we focus on really is if you really kind of can align the message that management has, the CEO first, then the C-suite, and then the believability that it has with employees, which are all brand ambassadors, whether they're going to fix a problem later in the process after a salesperson made the sale and they represent the brand in that process and extend that quality assurance and friendly customer service that we promised in the an ad campaign, we have a better chance of succeeding. And when we find the things that have a kind of a discord or, or they're not really believable, we say, okay, well, we can't really uh, fix world hunger in the next six months, but let's find two or three attributes that everyone agrees about and, and upon, and then connect them to what the market is missing, what the competition is saying, and then leverage it to create a unison message that works for everyone. Is if, so if I'm a sales leader and I see that, hey, we've got that disconnect or, you know, things aren't aligned as you just described. Yeah. What are some of those first steps I should take to create that alignment and address that issue? Well, the first thing is, again, not to drink your own Kool-Aid. And if you're a sales leader in an organization or you're writing the, the next uh, quarter or fiscal year, uh, sales plan for your uh, team, for your enterprise sales team, uh, the first question to ask other than what is my quota and what, how, how many units I have to, to move in order to, to make my, my, uh, my year successful and my team's work successful is, is what I'm selling uh, believable in the context of what we're trying to do? And then when we say believable is going back to uh, the tenets of trust, which have to do with 
do I have the proof that what we're selling is doing what the message is, reliable, faster, uh, more secure? And then uh, make sure that we can pilot a campaign with a few people, a few could be 10, 50, 100, depending on the magnitude of your organization, and really kind of test different messages to see what resonates and then come back and then train your sales organization to really kind of pitch those messages accordingly. So what you're doing in reality is before you go full blast and spend uh, you know, a lot of money on a lot of people trying something uh, and realizing after Q1 or Q2 that they failed, you do a pilot that test pilot A, pilot B, and pilot C potentially. And that way you have the ability to predict better. And now we have analytics to help you with that, what resonates and what works. So the confidence as a sales leader that you need to have is that you know what A, B, and C are gonna look like prior to you going to market. And of course, then training your sales organization along with the marketing organization to produce things that will be compelling, persuasive, and most importantly, overcome the psychological objections of the decision makers by knowing what they are prior to ever having them presented in public. Yeah, I think that's so important to, uh, to really understand. You have to understand your customer. You have to live in their shoes. Yes. Um, and it's not easy. It takes hard work to, to do that. And I think that's probably, do you think that's why people might shy away from that is they might think it's too hard? Yes, I, I think that the uh, dynamic that is not uncommon in many companies is that uh, politics and organizational politics prevent that type of thinking and process uh, discovery that I talked about. And I always tell people, would you rather find out the easy way or the hard way? The easy way would be to actually do your homework. And yes, you might have to have some arguments internally with the champions and the people that uh, are, are in the engineering and development department about the fact that they said that this feature works, but when you tried it, it didn't before you went to market. And what is their response to it? And making sure that every promise has a backup and a reliability factor that you can believe in, or you find it the hard way. Hire 10 or 15 or 50 or 100 people or 1,000 people to sell your product or service and find out after two or three quarters that they didn't sell anything because they didn't have the right ammunition. I love that you said it earlier, one word that I think is really important, it's reliable, it's that um, you know, these proof points that are going to endure uh, for a long time, because you don't want to like create a whole bunch of momentum, sell a bunch of stuff, and then just have it fade away because you're not delivering. Correct. And um, there is something that that uh, we use at, at the Barnes & Group, and it had really been our, our tagline from the beginning, because it was kind of interesting to be in a position where you're uh, creative people and people in marketing typically have a different type of thinking, which is kind of uh, used to be called, uh, and now is tried to, to say out of the box, but it's certainly not um, kind of logical when you come up with a new idea to, for a campaign. So our tagline has always been 
making creativity a science. And when you tell somebody creativity and science, they're typically on the opposite sides. But if you look at the book definition, book being the dictionary of what is science, it's really the ability to take something and create repeatable and repeat, uh, repeatable and predictable outcomes that produce scalable results. So if you develop something that succeeds only once, that's an experiment, which means an experiment can succeed once, but if you can replicate the results, then that experiment is gonna blow up in your face. But if you can create something that is reliable and may not be as exciting as you might think, but reliable and works to get people to buy your products and update your products or sell more to existing clients or charter new territory, and you can make it predictable and scale it so you can sell from 10 to 100 to 1,000 to a million times the same way, that's where the golden ticket is. And many organizations fail to see it. What are some of the common mistakes uh, people make when they're trying to, to do what you're saying, but they're, they're falling down in spots? What are some of those common uh, errors that are made? I think uh, the, the two most uh, common mistakes that people make is number one, not doing your homework, which we kind of discussed a little bit, which is to never call a company uh, a prospect and start with kind of the conversation by asking, so tell me what your company does or tell me what your company does in the context of what I'm selling. You need to know that before you started the conversation. And it doesn't matter that you want to schmooze and you want to kind of create a relationship with that person, which is important, but it should never be uh, basically part of the, the tenant to start a sales conversation, whether it's online or via phone or email, by asking them, what do you guys do? And I can't tell you how many times that is still the, the adage where most sales organizations operate. And they're, they're thinking they're doing the right thing. And in fact, what they're doing is insulting the prospect. But the second one really is to think of yourself instead of a sales professional, instead of it as a trusted advisor and a trusted consultant and, and use what we call consultative selling, which is not new and has been around, but it's based on creating a discovery where you're listening to the pain points that a prospect has and then leveraging those pain points to say, we actually have a solution that addresses it. And be ready at that time that you said that to have three or four usage scenarios of companies just like the prospect industry has. And by doing so, you're not selling anymore. You're actually helping them solve a problem. So if you take those two things that I just said and kind of connected it to one circle where you should never start a conversation, a sales conversation or a marketing conversation by saying, I've got the solution for you, or I know everything. You are basically starting with a vanity plate, if you will, or wall that will never be trusted. If you start a conversation by saying, I know what I don't know, which is not the confident salesperson that we typically are used to, 
you have a better chance of creating a conversation where there's listening. And if there's listening, there's an opportunity to identify an area that creates a dialogue. And a dialogue means an exchange of information by which we can actually extend the conversation. And as you know, the longer you can talk to a prospect, the higher the chances you're going to close a sale, or at least be considered among the top three options. The shorter the conversation is, it means you're doing a transactional thing, which means you're going to be one out of 10, three out of 10, but never get beyond. Yep, yep. And it's creating that, you know, uh, shifting the the relationship from, you know, when you're selling, you're across the table, you're, you're coming at the person. But if you're a trusted advisor, you're walking alongside them, you're living in their world, wearing their shoes, understanding, as you're saying, their pain points. Yes. And really trying to help them come up with a solution that's going to make it better. Yes. And I, I want to, uh, because uh, both of us have, have had a, you know, kind of a tremendous uh, career with, with many years of seeing those things happening. Uh, in, in the old world, 20 years ago, or even 10 years ago, a great uh, technique was I found an article that you might be interested in. People put a sticky note and send it in the mail to a prospect without basically saying anything about it, selling them stuff. Now, there's so much content and so many studies that, and so many facts that you can use to educate a prospect before they become um, an actual transaction and build that trust. And people fail to do that. And when you fail to do that, you fail to sell and you're basically being lumped with the rest of the nuisance that I have every day. Because think about how many messages we get every day. We get text, email, phone calls, and not to mention Zoom calls. So you don't have a lot of time. So if you're the educator and you're willing to be a trusted advisor and a listener, automatically in business to business especially, the higher the dollar volume, that approach is the approach that works. And the approach that doesn't work is my product is better than the other product or my service is better than the other service without doing your homework. Right. Well, we've come up on our time here on Sales Lead Dog. I really appreciate you, Gil, coming on the, the show. If people want to reach out and connect with you, they want to uh, learn more about the Bornstein Group, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, the simplest way in the digital world is to visit uh, bornsteingroup.com, B-O-R-E-N s-t-e-i-n-g-r-u-p.com, Bornstein Group. Uh, you can check us out on Google uh, or uh, check out LinkedIn where uh, you can find my profile, Gal Bornstein. Uh, my first name is Gal. It means in Israeli Hebrew, uh, a wave in the ocean. But most people don't know how to pronounce it, so I tell them get a life. But if you can visit Gal Bornstein on LinkedIn and uh, connect from there, that's kind of where uh, we typically find uh, the most uh, interesting and the most uh, meaningful conversations. Yeah, that's great. And we'll have all that in the show notes. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please uh, give us a great rating, uh, follow us. Um, you can also find us on YouTube. Um, and uh, thank you for listening. And go, thank you for coming on Sales Lead Dog again. It was great.
Well, I have to say five woofs for this uh, <laughs> because you you did exactly what good people are supposed to do in sales. Ask tough questions and not take anything for granted and know what you don't know. Thank you, Chris. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales Lead Dog is supported by Impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.